Last week, I took us on a little bit of a journey in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, where we were looking at um, Paul's testimony and how he became a minister of the gospel, and he's talking about the church. And I want to reread that passage today because it's going to kind of provide a platform for what I'm going to uh, be discussing and sharing with you today out of the scripture. This is Paul writing, and just to refresh your memory. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. In other words, Paul knew his calling, he was gifted. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Here was our key phrase last week. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. It was according to the eternal purpose that he was realized. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I want to go back. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. And that's where we stopped last week. Through the church. I want to put an emphasis on. I want to continue for this to just be a fundamental thought for us as, as Christians at Mount Helena Community Church that the church is God's plan A right now for the world. It is the, uh, the, the conduit, if you will, through which he is introducing himself to the world. The church is plan A. Through the church, God's wisdom is coming into the world. His manifold wisdom, meaning his, his variety, his colorful, his various, his diverse wisdom. Because God is... He's infinite. He's not limited. There's just so much to him. His character, his nature, and what he thinks and what he teaches, and he brings it into the world in the strangest way, through you and me. Jars of clay, vessels that are weak and broken, and yet he chooses to bring us together in an, in an organized fashion called the church, and through the church, he's making his wisdom known in the world. I wanted to emphasize Number one, the value of the church. The church is not a social club. It's not just a Sunday event. It's the people of God gathered together on a mission that has been commissioned to us uh, through the Scripture. And the Scripture is full of instruction that is specific to the church. And so the church isn't just the clergy. It isn't just the building. It isn't just the staff or the elders. It's all of us together. I need you you need me. We're diverse. We're various. God is showing himself in a variety of ways through you and I, through our personality, through the ways we serve, through our gifts that he has given us. All those things come together in this community that God has designed, and he's using this community to bring his wisdom into the world. It's a, it's a church that he's building. It's a church that he has structured according to his word. I think it's really important. Maybe in the days ahead, we're going to be looking more at this. What did God specifically tell the church to do or not do? And are we operating within that? There's a variety of wisdom, variety of gifts, all this instruction that he's given us. Without community, we wouldn't see all 
of the variety of God's wisdom and who he is. And he's using you and I to make it known, his wisdom, what he's doing, his plan for the world. I hope that the value of the church is creeping up in your thinking, that it's becoming more than just something you attend to feed yourself. We need that. And it becomes more than just a time to get together and talk about our hunting and fishing stories from this last week and maybe hear a good word and worship together. No, we are, we're more than that. Those are all part of it. But we are a community with a mission. And I hope that the value of that is just slowly increasing in, in your understanding that, that it becomes a priority for you to participate with the people of God so you can be everything God has called you to be and so we can be everything that God has called us to be because we are called to be community. Very important. But I didn't get to the last part of this sentence, and that was somewhat on purpose because it opens up a whole different conversation here, the last part of this verse. That the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, wait a minute. Isn't our gospel going to people in the natural realm, people giving their lives to Christ, coming into his transformational power, embracing the calling of him on our life? Yeah, all of that is, is part of it, but there's also something even more going on. There's been an authoritative evil in the entire world, controlling the entire world since the fall of creation. And Jesus did something. He brought change. And that's what I want to focus in on this morning. What is this idea of rulers and authorities in heavenly places? Those of you that have been a part of the Christian community for a while, you've, we've used the word uh, spiritual warfare. And we draw back off this, uh, draw off this uh, passage in Ephesians chapter 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Oh, man, and we like to talk about spiritual warfare because, you know, it sounds exciting and adventurous and, you know, um, all the guys in the room want to rattle their swords and that kind of thing. But spiritual warfare in God's uh, realm is a little bit different than what it is in our realm. And I'm not going to get into great depth about that necessarily today. More getting to just the basic hinge point and uh, just some basic thoughts about that. So this first part of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, I want to draw your attention to, and we speak to this a lot, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Here's what it boils down to. Our real issue is not with people. Our real problem is not people. I mean, people can be a problem. We have people that oppose us. We have people that hate us. Maybe you hate somebody. I wouldn't advise that. We have enemies in the natural realm where we, we, we're against each other. We don't like each other. We don't mind it when bad things happen to other people. But none of that's of God. And this passage is drawing our attention to the fact that our real issue is not really with people. Sure, we have relationships. We have to figure out how to navigate. We have to figure out how to interact and work together. And there's a time where, you know, when trust is broken, we need to separate ourselves from an abusive situation where, you know, or things like that. I'm not suggesting that we just dismiss everybody's behavior as acceptable. That's not true. But we need to understand that while we're in this life, there's something more going on than meets the eye. We don't just wrestle against flesh and blood. I had the opportunity, uh, couple of weeks ago to 
hear from John Maxwell. He was down in Keller, Texas. Jason and I were down there for a conference, and we had several sessions with him, and we also had a, just a senior leaders breakout session with Maxwell. And I've, I've read a lot of John Maxwell's stuff over the years. I've heard him speak many times. Never heard him like this because it was a, very much a church context rather than just a leadership context. And man, he, he didn't pull any punches. And I really appreciated it because I really connected with, with his heart and thinking. And he's talking about um, you know, how the church, particularly in, in when the world is in these kind of um, tumultuous or chaotic times, how the church responds to the world around them. And, and he had lots to say about it, but two things that he said to me in line with what we're talking about today, today about wrestling with flesh and blood, I heard it in his tone. He, one of the things he said, said this, you cannot reach people that you are divided from. You cannot reach people you are divided from. And when the world is in this constant division in lots of ways right now, we are called to reach people. We're called to bring this gospel into people's lives. We're called to bring transformation just through our example and our service and our words and our teaching and truth. But he said this, you cannot reach people that you are divided from. No one will ever come to Jesus because you hate them. Think about that. That's stung. No one will ever come to Jesus because you hate them. That's a serious message. It was John's message to the church today. And I really, really appreciated it. And I think it's true and it's right. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Yet, I mean, we, in, on one layer we, we do, but that's not where our ultimate battle lies. Our ultimate battle lies in the realm of sin and evil influence in people's lives. There's something bigger at work behind the physical realities we deal with. And, and so even though we know that there's a spiritual conflict, there's a spiritual realm around us, we are, we, part of us is spirit, God is spirit, we don't see it, we sense it sometimes. Sometimes people have seen things that they believe they've seen in the spirit, so to speak. But while that's all going on, the scripture actually doesn't teach us that much about it. And I think that's on purpose because, you know, if you look at the, the overall teaching of Scripture and the consistent themes and emphasis that's in it, there's a lot of emphasis to you and I about the way we treat each other, about the way we serve each other, about how we handle sin, how we handle disagreement, how we navigate this life, all the while realizing that those decisions and services and actions are having an impact in a supernatural way that we do not see, nor do we even understand it. And that's really, you know, in spiritual warfare, we think of, hey man, if, is this demon going to manifest in front of me and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pull out my Gandalf moves and swing a sword or something like that. That's, nah, I'm sorry. Here's the, here's the sad reality. We're sheep. How many times do you see sheep being used as some sort of military powerful animal? I want you to take that hill, soldier. You take that beach. Take that machine gun. There's a reason the scripture describes us in those terms. We're weak. We're not capable of great things on our own. We need God. We're a flock. The scripture has used that phrase to describe us a lot. We're a flock of fluffy sheep, and he is the great shepherd. There's lots we could learn from shepherds and sheep about ourselves, but there is a simple reality we have to come to about us. We're pretty helpless on our own. 
We're not macho, tough guy. We can try. But in the reality, at the end of the day, when it comes to the supernatural forces of evil and the evil trajectory of the earth, we're pretty weak. We need God. And Paul is drawing our attention to that. But the scripture doesn't give us a lot of detail about it because I think God wants us focused on the things we're a part of in the natural. For we do not wrestle... Oh, sorry, wrong passage. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go to the next one. And you were dead in the trespasses, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. What is the course of this world? This world is headed in a direction of of culminating with judgment at the end of time. It's not a pretty picture. Although Jesus does tell us, behold, I will make all things new. So we look forward to a better day. But we understand that the creation itself has broken away from God. It's headed its own direction in rebellion, and it's not a good thing. And so when we look at uh, concepts that are outside of God, concepts like uh, the way we communicate, the way we operate, the way um, things work, we would say it's a worldly way of thinking. It's an ungodly way of thinking or process. We would call that worldly because it's of the direction of the world. Okay? It's, it's the trajectory of the world, rebelling against God's ways and going its own ways. So following the course of the world, and, and that, involves, that involves sin, it involves our rebellion against God, and ultimately, destruction. Following the prince of the power of the air. What? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Okay, before we get too self-righteous about all this stuff, Paul's quick to remind us, hey, we all lived this way. We all wrestle with living this way. We, we all wrestle with those kinds of things. But what's this thing about the prince of the power of the air? Why does the Bible, why does Satan have authority? Why is there an evil authority? We're declaring this good news. We're bringing this manifold wisdom of God into the world, and it's being declared to this, this evil realm. What is, that, what is that about? Like, how did that happen? How is it that Satan's even called that? Well, we're going to unpack that a little bit as we go this morning among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So what are we doing? When we're continuing to carry out our own selfish desires, whether they're an idealism in our minds about what we want or whether it's fleshly desire, fleshly sin, those kind of things, we, we, we're given to those things, those are worldly things, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Creation is under the wrath of God because of sin. God is just, and he, he, will, just, he will judge justly. And it's a, that's actually a great thing for you and I. So how did this all come to be? In the beginning, I, I, I've, been, I've often shared with you this idea that we want to be aligned with God, and that sin is misalignment. And so... When we look at creation, we look in the very beginning, everything was in alignment with God. It was in his order. It was all under his authority. And it's, it's, so if we're in alignment with God, we're, we're in a place where his character resides. We're fruitful. We're obeying God. We're submitted to him. There's blessing in that. There's life. 
as opposed to death. There's good life when we're in alignment with God, when we're operating in his ways, because we're going back to the way that he made all things in the beginning. And we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and God looked upon all that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So we know in the beginning that when God made everything, he deemed it good. Even Satan and his angels in this day were good. Everything was good. Creation was good. Now we don't know how Satan came to be Satan or evil came to be evil. We've talked about this a little bit, about the problem of evil in the past, but really that, that um, evil is only a perversion of what is good. It's not something in and of itself. And we, we don't know when Satan himself rebelled against God. But somewhere between uh, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3, something happened. And we have no idea how much time goes by there, by the way. I mean, we see that Adam is created. He's naming the animals. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of animals in the world, and that would take a while. And Eve gets created, and, and we, we just don't know how much time goes by between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3, but we see that we reach this point in time where there's a rebellion, and Satan rebels against God. Jesus says these words in Luke chapter 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So all of, his, all of creation is good, but for whatever reason, Satan himself chooses to twist what is good into something perverted, twisted, um, corrupted what was good. And he deviated on his own way away from God. So we know that somewhere between Genesis chapter 1 and 3 this happened. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's the, again, the scripture does not give us a lot of information about that, and I think that's on purpose. I don't think that's where our primary focus needs to be is, our, you know, is we, don't, we don't spend all our time worrying about our enemy. We, spend, we need to spend all of our time relating to our God, and the rest will take care of itself. That's a very important aspect of spiritual warfare. Not that we ignore it or pretend it's not there, but that we, we put all of our time and our effort into focusing on God, and then we'll know the counterfeit when we see it, that kind of thing. But we know that, that he rebelled. Now, there are passages, though, that talk about, basically allude to the idea of two things that were, Satan was guilty of in the beginning. And many people would say that the first thing is pride. The sin that began all sins was pride. In the sense that Satan looked, Satan was under the authority of God, but he desired something where he wanted to be like God. He wanted to exalt himself. And he, and, you know, the scripture doesn't say it like this, but I, I, this is how I think of it. Because he's under the authority of God and he chooses to try and do something outside of God's authority out of pride. Me, my way, my ideas. My ideas are better than God's. I want to make myself like God. I want to pull myself out of the order of God and do my own thing. That's called pride. And so what did he do? He rebelled. Pride and rebellion have their birthplace in the heart of Satan himself. And he rebelled against God. And Jesus said, I saw him fall, I lightning. This, this has been a tough one. Whenever we have the temptation to be proud or rebellious, we have to pause and ask ourselves some very, very serious questions and give time and evaluation and prayer and thought to the Scripture. Because pride and rebellion don't originate with God. 
And so it's something to take very seriously. And that's what made part of this last season so difficult. We're living in a world that is not going a direction we want it to go. And it's not going to. The scripture is very clear that it won't. But it's not been going the way, so what do we do about it? How do we handle that? Those are very difficult questions about how to manage pride, how to manage rebellion, how to manage our responsibility in this world. And if our war is not with flesh and blood, then how do we manage that? Those are difficult questions that I'm not going to unpack today. But it does, we do see and feel the pain of those things in our present world. So he was under authority, but he, he chose to go his own way. He gets off on his own trajectory, his own tangent. He's no longer in alignment with the mark. This is where we get our definition of sin. He broke away from the alignment. He broke away from the aim, the thing that was pointed at. He got misaligned. He missed the mark. So God's on his trajectory towards eternity and all that is good, and Satan goes his own direction. And then not far behind, so does Adam. Exact same thing. The father of all mankind, the responsible party in the garden, chose to go his own way. And it began with these words. And I've I've said this to you before. I think that this is how it began. Satan took the truth and he twisted it. Because he couldn't create his own thing. He just had to take what was good and right and pervert it a little bit. And that's where it began for mankind. Did God say? That's how Satan tempted in the beginning. Did God say, you shall eat of the fruit of the tree? That was the temptation situation. But the root of it was, is God God telling you the truth? Did he really say that? And that is the spiritual element against us today. Did God really say he loves you? Did God really say Jesus' sacrifice was enough? Did God really say that you are gifted for some reason? Did God really say that through the church he was going to do this? I mean, those guys are crazy. Are you sure? Are you sure? Is that true? Is the word of God right? Did God say it's not okay to sin? Did God say that his grace is sufficient? Did God say you're really forgiven? All those are the voice of our enemy trying to pervert the truth, get us to believe something that's not true, to reach this pivotal moment in time where we're aligned with God, but then we choose to believe something that's not in alignment with God. And creation breaks away from its creator. Adam joined in the rebellion of Satan in the same way. A rebellion of pride and arrogance. I maybe know better. Did God really say, does God really know what he's talking about? Those are famous words. We should always remember that, even in our day-to-day lives. When I'm thinking about anything at all, stopping and going, what did God say? What does God's word say about this? Very important component to the work of the church. Adam entered the rebellion, and the world today is still challenged in this way. That's why Jesus called Satan the father of lies. It all began with this, a twisting of the truth. Just a little bit. Just get you off course a little bit so you start to miss the mark. And that's what sin is. Let's take a look at another graphic here. So here's what happens. All the way back in time, at the bottom of that red arrow there, creation began, and creation was in alignment with God. But man, who was a steward of creation, rebelled against God. And something happened, and God said this in Genesis chapter 3, Cursed is the ground 
because of you. Creation broke because of you, Adam. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And that's the reality you and I live in. We experience the sting and the pain of death because sin entered the world. We experience difficulty in this life and difficulty in our relationships because sin, because, because we misaligned and we're misaligned from God in many ways. And all of creation then embarks on this journey of misalignment from God, separated through sin. Sin driving the trajectory of creation towards destruction. And that is right because God is just. And that's where it's headed. So rather than abundant life in God, creation is on its way to death and judgment. Should I just wrap it up and we all go home now? Not very encouraging, is it? But we, but we feel that, don't we? We know that's true. It's broken. Something's broken. I look at the world around me, it's like, it's broken. Death never really feels right. It never makes sense. Why? Because creation is broken. Sickness and pain, emotional pain, physical pain, all these things, it just doesn't, something's dysfunctional about the world. Yes, it's called sin. Sin broke creation. And sin is misalignment. Pointing a different way, going a different way. So with Adam's sin, man and all creation was separated from God. Now, in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, it says that God has had divine forbearance. God could have stopped right there and go, all right, Adam, you screwed it up. Experiment over. <laughs> Wipe it out. Done. But he doesn't. He cares. He knew before the foundations of the world, which we looked at last week, that you would exist. He knew you would exist. And in his grace and divine forbearance, he's waited. He's He's deferred judgment till the time is right. Doing something masterful with creation. In the meantime, we exist in this place where sin and wrath reign. So when creation went off of God's trajectory, somehow Satan becomes the authority in that situation. Evil power becomes the authority where sin is present because he's out of alignment with God. So all of creation is in this um, state of being submitted to evil. And, it, and it's challenging because the scripture calls him the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, all kinds of things like that. And we're going to look at a couple passages here in a second. But because when we submit to disobedience rather than obedience, we're submitting ourselves to the authority of evil power. When I, when I choose not to operate in God's way, I step out from under God's authority and I step under some other authority. What is it? It's, that, it's the perverted authority. It's the twisting away from God. It's evil. That sounds scary. I don't want to live with evil as an authority in my life. That's why the Bible says don't give the devil a foothold. So when we continue to sin and we continue to live in sin, we've given Satan authority in our lives. How many of you want to give Satan more authority in your life? Nobody. But some, we struggle to even believe that's true, but it's true. Because sin is where he has authority, where he reigns, where he has influence in our lives. And so when we choose to disobey, not obey God, we are inherently under the authority of evil. 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. 
That doesn't sound right. Is that two verses? I maybe made a mistake there, but we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John is making this distinction. He understands that those who have now accepted Christ and have come under his authority no longer belong to the power of the evil one. This is an important reality for you and I moving forward. Now, this doesn't remove God's sovereignty from the equation. I want you to stop and think about this for a second. If Satan has authority, if he's the God of the world, he has authority over the earth, he would have killed you all by now. God's divine forbearance and grace still holds the whole thing together. Even Satan has to submit to God. We see that in the scripture as well. So God is still over the whole thing and he's marching all things towards something that he has designed. It's a mystery, but through the church, his wisdom is being seen. This story is coming to the surface. We're all starting to understand this manifold wisdom of God for creation and its destination. And that's coming into our reality today through the church. Jesus said this, now the judgment of, now this now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So Jesus is declaring, now judgment day has come. Enter Jesus. So I just painted the, 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 uh, the un, unfun. Man, I got to stop making up words, because that's definitely not a word. The not-so-fun picture of creation broken out on, and away from God and heading its own direction, and sin and destruction and the power of evil and Oh, man, that's depressing. Enter Jesus. Jesus steps on the scene. He says this. This ruler, this evil authority over all of the earth now has come to judgment. He paid the price on the cross. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. And when the sin is forgiven, then sin no longer has authority and power. Therefore, evil no longer has authority and power. It's why we don't want to live in sin. Because evil gets a hold. When we do, but Jesus said, this, this ruler is coming down. Now, did he completely remove evil from the world at the cross? No, but he began. He began with the work of the cross and his resurrection. He began a process of establishing a new order on the earth, his kingdom. That's why we pray, your kingdom come. There's an authority inherent in the earth because of sin, but there is a new boss in town. So if you can imagine the whole world completely under the authority of evil, all of a sudden, from heaven, comes Jesus, one being. I'm here. And all of a sudden, a kingdom starts to spread because of his work. And, his, uh, and that kingdom, of the authority of darkness, is slowly weakening because of this power of the gospel that's taking over the world. And who's that coming through? The church. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Their kingdom is coming to an end in time. And we are ambassadors of this new kingdom. Enter Jesus, making a way and forgiving sin that that authority is no longer welcome on the earth. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. The ruler of this world has a claim on all of us because of sin. But not Jesus, because he conquered sin. Not only did he conquer sin by living a sinless life, he then let himself be sacrificed like an innocent lamb so that your sin might also be forgiven and that authority of death and sin is removed from over the top of you. So important in spiritual warfare 
concept. You didn't realize that your decision to sneak and sin on the side a little bit or those kind of things were spiritual warfare concepts, but they are. So when we indulge in sinful behavior, we step out from under the authority of God and we put ourselves under the authority of evil. And he does not like you. And he will make your life a mess. Sin leads to a messy, dysfunctional life. He has no claim on Jesus. And when we accept Jesus' blood as our own, because that really, in a way, that's what salvation is, we're accepting his covering, his sacrifice in our place, he no longer has a claim on you either, if you will accept that gift. Satan did tempt Jesus, by the way. Satan himself came to Jesus and tempted him. And if you remember how he handled it, he took, Jesus wielded the word of God so well. You know, Jesus didn't make stuff up as he went. What did he use to deal with his enemy? The word of God. Let's go to the next one. So here we go. Here's a picture of that same situation. Back at creation, way back at the beginning of things, we broke away from alignment with God, but as time goes on, steps in Jesus. By his grace, by God's own decision. Notice the arrow isn't going the other way. You didn't work your way back to God. Mankind didn't work his way to be good enough for God. He didn't, get, he didn't pull himself up by his bootstraps and crawl across the battlefield and get right back into God's way. No, man, man's doomed on his own. But by the grace of God, Jesus has bridged a gap across sin that you and I might return to an alignment with him where we live in that fruitful, life-giving, abundant life that he has for us rather than the brokenness that we see in creation. And by the way, creation remembers. You know, we looked at that passage and we were talking about wisdom books in recent weeks. There's a passage in Ecclesiastes that says he makes everything beautiful this time and he put eternity in the hearts of men. And we talked about the idea that somehow we understand there are eternal things. We don't even entirely understand why, but there's something in us that just goes, there's no way this is all just random biology. Very few people really believe that. Why is that? Because creation remembers the deviation. It remembers the way it was made. It remembers a perfect and holy God and a perfect plan that he had. There's just something there that remembers. Well, here we go. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guess what? Satan did it. Adam did it. I do it. I rebel. I reach a point. I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm in alignment with God. You know, we're never perfect. I'm not talking perfection here. I hope you understand that. But I have moments where I will rebel. I'm going to go my own way. All of us have. I kind of wanted to say your rebellion instead of mine, but I figure I better own it first, right? I don't know about you, but I'm rebellious. I don't like to be told what to do. I want to do it my way sometimes. I don't want to be submitted. That's a painful word. I got to be submitted to God. I do the same thing. I rebel. I am born into this rebellion in a way that arrow shouldn't even be touching the blue because I, I never had alignment with God without Jesus Christ. I was born into this. I inherited Adam's sin. Sin passed down through the generations. But I do. I, I, even if I tried not to sin, I, I don't know at what age you're really held accountable for that, but at some point, sooner or later, we understand that we've rebelled against God. Let's go to the next one. So here's what happens. You're going along the journey of your life. We're deviated away from God. We're misaligned. We're heading on our own arrow in our own direction. And, 
at some point, now this is, if this is a picture of your whole life, you're going along out of alignment with God and all of a sudden you run into Jesus in some way. Through some correction that you read in the scripture, some conviction in your heart, maybe you hear the gospel for the first time, God's grace reaches out to you and you feel it and you go, am I right? Is my life right? Am I in alignment with God? Who is God? How do I get right with God? All those kinds of things. All those are by the grace of God. You didn't turn and look from that yellow, uh, yellow, red arrow over to the blue one and go, hey, I want to get over there. I'm going to go over there. No, God reached out to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Somewhere you ran into God. Somewhere you have the opportunity to make a decision for him. We meet Jesus. But then we have a choice. We have a choice between repentance or we have a choice between continued rebellion. This is spiritual warfare 101. Okay, come in. Let's just keep in mind. Let's go back where we started. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. How is that happening? This. This message of salvation every day of your life. In the way you demonstrate it, the way you live it, the way you serve others. Because this happened we have a place to war from. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We've left this world. We've left the worldly thinking. We've left worldly concepts. We've left all those things behind. Yes, we have to live in it and we have to navigate it well. There's a, there's a reality there. But ultimately we understand that it does not end here. He's delivered us from this kingdom of darkness. We're no longer under that that's provided that we have decided to accept God's grace and forgiveness. See, we reach this point where God's grace has reached across and we intersect him and we have an opportunity to continue in our rebellion towards judgment or repent and receive forgiveness. What does it mean to repent? Let's go back to the definition we've talked about recently. Repentance is the ruthless dismantling of a mindset. So when we run into a way of thinking and a way of life that does not line up with God, we change our mind. We go a different direction. See, sometimes we think of repentance like this. We're going along, we sin, we realize we're in sin. Oh, I'm, I'm in sin, I'm living in sin, I have this issue. God forgive me, but I'm going to keep going in my rebellion. But repentance isn't like that. Repentance is, I'm not going down that road any further. Now we all we'll stumble, we'll continue to stumble, we continue to make mistakes, but it's really about an internal adjustment, an internal turning around, and a changing of the mind, and I'm going to build a new mindset in Christ. I'm going to go a new direction, because he paved the way for me by his blood. I can be forgiven, I can come out of that evil authority that I've been camping out under, and I can go another way on to all of the blessings that are in the place when I'm in alignment with God himself. He's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. He took us out of that and just, boom, right over into his kingdom of light. So this, is a, this, this could be your lifelong picture of salvation. You were going along in life. You met Jesus one day. You gave your life to him. You've repented. You're leaving sins and sinfulness behind. You're getting yourself back in alignment with God or continued on in rebellion. We do this every day, too. This could be one, one day for you, Right? You know, I, I wake up in the morning, I'm grumpy, I get harsh with my wife. I never do that. By 10 o'clock, that was a joke. By 10 o'clock, 
in the morning. I'm here at the office. I'm drinking my coffee. I'm wide awake. I'm trying to pray, but I can't feel like just the Spirit's not there. God, what's going on? Well, Jerry, you were harsh with your wife this morning. I'm a little irritated about that. I don't think God says irritated, but maybe he does. But it's that conviction. I went along with my day, and God's I intersect God at a point, and I have a choice in that moment. Am I going to humble myself and repent, change my mind, change my attitude, receive forgiveness, call my wife, ask her to forgive me, and realign myself with God, or am I just going to be ticked off the rest of the day at my wife and continue on in sin and deviation from God, getting away from his ways, going my own way, or am I going to get myself back in alignment? Again, not something I can just pull myself up by my bootstraps and do, but I've got to have the grace of God there. I've got to have that forgiveness. I've got to have his mercy so I can get over there and get in alignment. I'm going to skip the next one. And I'm going to go right to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. I joked with the first service. Maybe I should just get that tattooed right here so I can look at it all the time. With gentleness. This is God's way. God may perhaps grant them repentance. You know, so he's talking about this idea of of, of interacting with people and God granting repentance, granting that ability to really change and go a different direction, leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So what's going on? We're going on in the journey of life and there's snares everywhere. Escape from the snare. That moment in time where, where there's, you know, what's a snare? It's a, it's a, it's a trap. We, we don't want to get snared in things because it pulls us out from under the authority of God and we submit ourselves to an evil authority. I don't want to do that. I don't want to give them a foothold because I want to live this abundant life. And it's all dependent on the grace of God. I'm just going to go quickly here. Here's probably more realistically what a day in your life looks like. All day long provided opportunities to break away from alignment with God, to behave, to communicate, to think in ways that are not his ways. I get out of alignment. Let's go to the next one. Here's probably even more realistic. Here's here's more of what's true. We are called to be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As we're going along in our relationship with God, we're kind of going back and forth. We get in and out. We we screw up things. He corrects us. We're in a journey of being transformed. We don't just wake up perfect one day. We're just going along this journey of trying to be in alignment with him, and we get out of bounds sometimes. But here's the last one I want to show you today. Do you know this is how God sees you? I mean, we know we screwed up. We know we're out of alignment. We make mistakes. We know we're not perfect. Yet because of the blood of Jesus, he has pulled you into, he has pulled you into alignment with himself, despite your wanderings around the arrow. You are hidden in Christ. Going back to Ephesians chapter 3. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have what? Boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart. We don't need to lose heart in the journey. We can be courageous. We can be motivated all the time because even though we mess up sometimes, when when we've really adopted Christ as our Savior and we really are turning and dismantling our mindset and allowing ourselves to be transformed more like him, we are in alignment with him. 
And we will go on to eternity in that. Would you stand, please? Through the church. Through you. Yeah, come on. Let's go out of here motivated. Thinking about this thing we're engaged with in the church. Through the church, God is doing this amazing work to the world around us. He's bringing in a kingdom like a beachhead. He's just beachheaded. Beachheaded, that's a new word. Right onto the earth. And his kingdom is beginning to expand. And how is it expanding? Through you and I. Until the day that he returns to save us and to make all things new. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you use us, us funny little warrior sheep. God, you, you are mysterious. You confound the wisdom of the wise. You make foolish the things of the world. You use broken people that have messed up, and yet you make us perfect again somehow in your sight through the blood of Jesus. God, I pray for everyone here this morning. Lord, if you are, if you, actually, if you're out here today and you've, you know you're out of alignment with God, you know that you've been snared in some way. There's just some things you're not willing to bring into alignment with him. I would encourage you to receive prayer today. Or if you've never really submitted to God, if you've never let Jesus come in his grace and his mercy and his love, be the Lord of your life, if you've never really submitted to him, pray with our prayer team afterwards. Come pray with me. Talk to somebody about that. God, if you're convicting anyone to come into alignment with you today, and we all <laughs> could point at things in our lives we need to come into alignment, but Lord, if you're really tugging on some hearts today, Lord, I pray you would do an awesome work of forgiveness and redemption and bringing people into alignment with you, showing us that we are your adopted sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you for this day, this day that your mercy is brand new, just like every day. So we're thankful to be a part of your work. In Jesus' name, amen.